Hi. I love you. Thank you. Crashing you into Mr. Wayne. No, please don't. Um, I need you here now, Barry. So you're saying you could travel back in time? The Bruce. I can fix things. I can save people. I can save my mom. I can save your parents. You can also destroy everything. Love you, Bob. I love you too. So, how was it this week? How's school? School was good. Oh, this is mad trippy, dude. This is catastrophic. This world must die. No. There again. It's not Clark. My name is Kara. I will help you. Interesting group. Want some help? Wait, he's Batman? You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And on deck for today's episode, The Flash, the good, the bad, and the very ugly box office weekend that it had this past week. I'm going to discuss all of that. Um, obviously, nothing good. It was number one this weekend, but very disastrous results uh, if you're Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, we'll get into all of that. You'll get my review of the actual film itself in the middle of the podcast, which my thoughts on that are completely separate from the disaster that it was this past week, financially. And then towards the tail end of the episode, we'll leave it on a positive note. I'm going to talk about the return of CM Punk, CM Punk, CM Punk to All Elite Wrestling and their debut of their new show, Collision. You'll get my thoughts on all of that. But let's get to the box office this past week. I've been gone uh few weeks, I think the last time I was on here, I talked uh, Across the Spider-Verse with my daughter. Um, very fun movie, and it's still killing at the box office. It's killing at the movie theater. I work at one, so I, I know the business that's coming in and the, and the repeat business. And let's let's start things off. At number five this weekend is The Little Mermaid coming in with $11 million, bringing its domestic total to $253 million, which is pretty solid for Disney. You know, they had Guardians, but that's the Marvel machine, but... Mostly everything that's come before Disney-wise that's not Marvel has kind of like really underwhelmed, including 
their animated movies and their Pixar movies, which one debuted this weekend. We'll talk about that other disaster. Now, there was two big disasters this weekend, folks, so uh, just bear with me as I try to explain everything. But the fact that The Little Mermaid has grossed, we're getting nearing close to $300 million. I don't know if it'll hit that mark, but this has to be considered a success for Disney uh, given that their other live action stuff hasn't really hit in the last couple of years. Cause this one went, wasn't really, you know, I mean, it wasn't hated on by the critics and it wasn't like super beloved either, but it was like right in the middle. So this is a success for Disney and I'm sure they're going to try to squeeze a sequel out of this, but we'll see. At number four, Transformers Rise of the Beast, which I did not see and I don't plan on seeing. It was, it was number one last weekend. And just to give you some context, that movie actually outperformed The Flash's opening weekend. So that just goes to show you how how far and how bad The Flash's debut was. Uh, that raked in twenty million, bringing its total to one hundred and one million, which is, I guess, the best you can do with the Transformers franchise. This is the seventh movie. Um, I think it's doing a little better than where the last one was at this point. That being Transformers The Last Night. I won't count Bumblebee because that was kind of like a spinoff. But as part of the, the main Transformers franchise, uh, this one I think is is outpacing The Last Night, which is good for them. But already slipping to number four <laughs> after being number one last week is not a good sign. So this movie's just going to continue to drop. At number three, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse bringing in another $27 million to bring its total to 279. Um, this one obviously has, has had the biggest opening of the summer, even beating out Guardians. Uh, hasn't grossed as much as Guardians yet, but it uh, should be topping over 300 here within the next week or two. Um, again, I work at the theaters, and this one's still selling like crazy. People are checking this out, even though it ends on a cliffhanger. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, please go see it. Uh, it's a fun movie for the entire family and just just an overall good movie. You know, take the animated part out of it. It's just a really, really fun, good movie. At number two, our first of two disasters, Elemental, the new Disney Pixar film. Now, Disney during the pandemic really, really pushed on family and audiences uh, on using their platform to see like their animated films. So a couple of them ex- uh debuted exclusively on that platform you know movies like soul and luca uh i think the only one that made it to the theaters during that time was encanto but that ended up being a a hit on its own and that wasn't part of the pixar franchise but the pixar movies have been kind of disney plus exclusives the last couple of ones i think uh turning red was the one last year that was also straight to disney plus this was the first one back after Lightyear. Uh, which was another flop from last summer as that one I've been reminiscing on that on my Facebook memories, uh, giving me good old chuckles on all the jokes I made on that. But here's, uh, here's the kicker. So it's gotten worse for Pixar. Uh, Elemental debuted not even number one, but not only that, only grossed 29 million, making it the worst opening for a Pixar movie in the history of that company. So, and, Honestly, I mean, we had families coming to see that movie, but it wasn't really like, it wasn't hitting off like Mario Brothers or even Little Mermaid or even Spider-Man, which is like kid-friendly, but it's a little bit more adult, but still you can bring the kids to see it, but not bringing in that type of audience for the family. So I'm curious to see how much this one's going to drop off. Um, it was doing a little bit better than Flash during the week, so I don't know. I guess that's something, but the Flash is a disaster on its own. 
So $29 million for Elemental. Uh, not good for Disney Pixar. I don't know what this means for the future uh, of that company. Um, obviously, they're not going to go away, but maybe Disney's going to revert back to just putting those on Disney+. Plus. I don't know. I mean, every not everything uh, is off the table here. So, there, I mean, unless it's Marvel or, you know, even Star Wars now is just transition more to TV. Um, it's just a, a weird time for Disney right now. They're not the Goliath that they once were, and other studios are taking advantage and putting out better product. And then there's The Flash. Number one movie this weekend. And this is a movie that was originally, the first projections when they came out, had it at over like 120, around 140 million, around that range. Um, I can kind of gauge sometimes through our pre-sale tickets and I look at all that stuff, our sales and everything, and I can kind of gauge what's going to be a hit and also like, whoa, this is not looking pretty good as far as like us thinking it's going to be a huge movie. And when those first projections came out, I was like, oh, you know, kind of makes sense. You know, you're you're bringing back Michael Keaton's Batman. There's a lot of nostalgia there. You're going to have Ben Affleck appearing as Batman. So kind of like, you know, their version of Spider-Man No Way Home. So, you I mean, it worked for Sony, right? And it's like the third biggest movie ever or something like that. So the projection wasn't too crazy, I thought, even though the this is considered part of like still the Snyderverse, you know. Um, even though they've had a string of like pretty big flops or not so much like good movies. Um, I mean, you even look at the recent Shazam movie that only opened to what 30 million and then it topped off really quickly. I don't even think it hit 80 million domestically and worldwide. It only did, it did 130, which is really, really bad. So people have kind of soured on the entire DC brand right now, other than Batman, which Again, he's in this movie, so I thought, okay, the projections for it kind of make sense. And then we put our tickets on sale for this movie. And then this was like weeks out before the movie released this weekend. And I would keep going back to him and like, you know, the we had the fan exclusive one, which I attended with my buddies. And that one sold out quickly. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, looks good for this movie, right? But then I thought, okay, that's the super hardcore fan base that's gonna go see it on the first night and they want to you know they want to see everything so you're gonna have all those people come out for sure they don't want to wait but then you looked at the rest of it you know actual pre-early shows on thursday and then going into opening weekend and the sales were just not there and then by the time we came to like a couple of days before release it just grew like very very slowly and i was like huh this might not be as big of a hit as we thought. And we have a game at work where we project our openings. And um, I lost this past weekend, but I was in second place. And I know because I, they showed us the listings of everyone that sent in their projections. And I I, I had a feeling that this movie was going to come in underneath what, it, what was projected. I wasn't even thinking over $100 million anymore. I was thinking around like 72 was what I predicted. And it came out worse than that, folks. So The Flash opened with $55 million. Now, this is a giant blockbuster from Warner Brothers with the most iconic character, two of them, Batman, being in the movie. So, like, what the fuck happened, right? How did we get here? (laughs) As I've been joking uh, on Facebook and social media. Um, A lot of factors into this. And let's start with the most obvious one, right? Now, if you're on social media and you're on Twitter... 
You know that the star Ezra Miller has been in a lot of controversy. There's a lot of stuff that he was involved in, a bunch of crimes and, you know, stuff caught on video and all that stuff. There's stuff he's being accused of and some of the stuff is, uh, like fact, like visually factual. Like we've seen the video of like him, like assaulting a woman, throwing chairs, you know, whatever. There's all that stuff. That stuff's for real. But then there's other stuff about like, you know, grooming teenagers, stuff like just a lot of negative stuff. And one of my running jokes on social media was like, man, we're never, we're just never going to see this Flash movie. Not with the way this is going. Like, and this was at a point where we thought this actor was just going to completely spin out of control and maybe they're just going to cancel it. Uh, and this movie's been in development forever, folks. Just like Black Adam, it's been a long time in the making. Like, I remember when they announced this solo Flash movie, like back when, had to have been like 2014, 2015, somewhere around there where they were announcing this. And it went through like, a bunch of rewrites, and I think there was, like, Andy Muschietti's the final director, but I don't think he was originally the guy put behind this movie. It was, there was just a bunch of, you know, teams behind it. And that was another reason why I thought we're just never going to see this movie. But also, okay, so that's the first factor, Ezra Miller. Now, how that plays with the mainstream audience, I don't know how much people, A, care about that, or, you know, just whatever. It doesn't mean that much to them. You know, some people can separate the art from like the real life troubles that people go through. And this happens all the time in movies. Like I, I know Mel Gibson has done some stuff, but I separate that from the stuff that I actually like him. Like I love him as an actor. I think he's one of the best that we've had in Hollywood. So I can still enjoy his movies, even though I know he's done like questionable stuff in the past. So I know how to separate that stuff. So me as a moviegoer, that doesn't matter to me as a mainstreamer. Um, so that's one factor. The other one, as I mentioned, like the DC universe that was created here by Snyder, this little shared connected universe just has not worked. There are some movies that have done a lot of good business. You know, Batman v Superman did pretty well financially. Uh, Man of Steel was pretty decent when it kicked off. Wonder Woman was a huge success. Um, you know, they've had a couple of hits and a couple of misses. Even Aquaman like hit a billion dollars back when it came out in December a few years ago. But for the most part, people haven't really taken in these characters and these stories and they haven't really connected with them in the same way that um, the Marvel Universe has impacted people. Now you have your hardcore fans, right? Like the Snyder the Snyder bros, right? That are just ride or die for all of this stuff. So you have those, but that's a very, very small percentage of the actual mainstream audience. And the proof of that was when they released the Snyder Cut of Justice League on HBO Max during the pandemic. Now, when it came out, like, the viewers for that, like, it was a very small portion. Like, I don't even think it was number one. There were other movies that were outpacing it that weren't even as big concept of a movie as this was. And it, they were being watched more uh, than that one. So, again, the popularity of the Snyderverse is very, very small. But if you go online, it makes it look like it's this gigantic army. But in reality, it's another just example of how social media is not the real world. So... There's that. Um, and then there's also where people really ready for a Flash movie or even cared. Now, I was a fan of the Flash TV show with Grant Gustin. And that just actually ended its run uh, about a month ago on television. Ran for nine seasons. I dipped in and out of the show, but watched the final season. And a lot of people grew to like that person as their Flash. So they never really had a relationship with the Flash that we see on screen with Ezra Miller. Yes, we had him in two movies in the Justice League movies. But, you know, the audience didn't really care or develop a relationship 
with that character. So there's that element of it. People, for the most part, maybe just wanted to see. They heard Batman was going to be in it. That was my interest in this movie, was the fact that Batman was going to be in this. Ben Affleck's Batman. Michael Keaton's another story. Um, now, I like Ben Affleck as Batman. And when I heard that this was going to be his like kind of final performance as the character, I didn't know how big the role was going to be. Um, that's what got me hyped. Not Michael Keaton, Ben Affleck. I still like Michael Keaton as Batman, but and I grew up with those movies, but... You know, we've seen so many different iterations of Batman since him, and we've seen better ones, including, like, for me, like, the Dark Knight trilogy. Like, that's my Batman. Christian Bale is my Batman. But I loved Ben Affleck as well as Batman. So there's been all these different iterations. The Lego Batman movie. Robert Pattinson's currently playing the Batman. So we've had all that since. So I'm not saying Michael Keaton is forgotten, but all I'm saying is that the nostalgia for him has kind of worn off. Like, yes, you had the diehards that come that love that. But going off the box office numbers, it wasn't all there. Now you're saying, well, what about Spider-Man? We have to realize that the Spider-Man that came out in No Way Home, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, were all from this generation. Like, Tobey's from my generation. Michael Keaton wasn't. He was like the generation before me, even though I grew up with the movies. But I was still a, a very little kid when those movies were coming out. The Spider-Man movie worked because it was this generation. So you were able to to put that into a bubble and have it become this big box office phenomenon. And not to mention Spider-Man's a, kind of a little bit more popular character now these days. I would say a little bit more than Batman. Spider-Man's probably one and Batman's 1A. Um, but Spider-Man a little bit more, especially with No Way Home. And now, even with the Cross of Spider-Verse, like, that's all the young kids are talking about. My kids, like, I, I can kind of gauge what's popular with the youth, you know, because I'm getting up there in age. And what I think is cool may not be cooler to the younger audience. And for them, right now, it's all about Miles Morales and Across the Spider-Verse. I have these kids at work. They're like, fuck every other movie. Across the Spider-Verse is the best thing ever. And this is coming from somebody who thought, like, La La Land was his favorite, favorite movie. And I love La La Land. Like, that's a great movie, great adult movie. But even him, he was like, oh, fuck that. Like, cross the Spider-Verse. But he's also a young kid. So that's what they're relating to right now. So, yes, the nostalgia was there for those Spider-Men because they were of this generation, including mine. I'm still, I'm on the younger generation, but, like, I'm at the tail end of it. Michael Keaton was before that. So that's another reason why the number isn't as big as we thought. And then there's also just the other factor that, James Gunn, Peter Safran, they're going to be running the ship now for DC and they're going to reboot the entire thing and put in in their own vision. Now they got hired like a couple of months before while these movies were still set to come out. So we still, you know, we had Shazam, we had Black Adam, um, obviously the Flash movie, we got Blue Beetle coming up and then Aquaman. So, but all of these movies were made before they were hired. And once they were hired, we were told that, hey, like, all of this stuff that's come before, except for maybe Blue Beetle, I think that one's going to be a part of this world. Um, none of that's going to matter anymore. So if you're telling that to the audience, why are they going to pay money to go see a Flash movie if none of that shit's going to matter like going forward? It's just like a one-off. And the audience is trained now, right, for stuff to continue going and going and going, right? But if, if you're telling them it's not going to matter, like, why are they going to spend, like, 20 bucks to go see the, a Flash movie that's not going to matter in the long run? Now, if you're a hardcore movie fan, you're going to see it regardless. I, myself, am a huge movie fan. I was going to see it. But for a lot of the mainstream audience, it's it's a turnoff. 
right? They're going to be like, oh, well, we'll wait or whatever. Or maybe they're not even aware of it. But I think going off the numbers here, um, that had a factor to play in it. So a lot of stuff, a lot of reasons why everything went wrong for this movie. And I was very high up on it uh, as we were leading up. The trailers were great. Um, the marketing I thought was really good. Uh, the posters I'm still iffy on. But, you know, it had Batman. Maybe I might have been blinded by that and a little bit biased. The fact that it was going to have Batman in it. But, um, and also you didn't have Ezra promoting the movie at all. And that was another red flag. And, you know, if you, if you see right now Tom Cruise is all over Twitter and all over Facebook and TikTok and all that stuff. He's doing all these things to promote Mission Impossible. Uh, and, and that helps your movie, you know, having your star, your main star promote the movie. And Ezra Miller was nowhere to be seen during marketing. And they're not going to market Ben Affleck because, uh, as you'll see later in my review, he's barely in the movie. And then Michael Keaton, I, I'm not sure, like, I mean, I love him to death, but you can't have him be the driving force doing all the media. I mean, he's there as a supporting character. It's not his movie. He's in it, but it's not his movie. So... A lot of factors in. Terrible weekend for Warner Brothers. And this doesn't look good for like Blue Beetle and Aquaman that are upcoming. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's the box office for this weekend. Just two major duds. And I think they're going to fall big time. Um, there's a lot of good stuff coming up in July. Um, we got Indiana Jones coming up in the next week. So that is going to... Do something at least. It won't be a dud. I don't know if it's going to be as huge as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was back in 2008, but it's gonna it's gonna bring in audience. It's gonna bring in uh, people, and that's gonna take away from Flash and Elemental. And then you got Barbie and Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible, and yeah, it's gonna be hard for the Flash or Elemental. And for Elemental, it's got Spider Man, which is already out, so that's already got uh, you know a huge task ahead of it. Um, but not looking good for the Flash. It, if it dips more than sixty-five percent, I wouldn't be shocked, and it's going to go away quickly. Um, but let's take a quick break. When we come back, you'll get my actual review of the film, my entire thoughts on it. This is Palace off the top rope. We'll be right back on June twenty-third. Should I come up, or do you want to come down here? Come on, come on up. Just get ready to laugh hard. Okay, who told the joke? <laughs> Funny. Play hard and date hard. All the data's brains out. Smack it. Jennifer Lawrence. Get away from her. Oh. Oh. We should go. No hard feelings. Rated R. Welcome back to the show. No hard feelings, starring Jennifer Lawrence, starting this Friday in theaters everywhere. I'm really hoping this one takes off. And I'll tell you why. Um, I need my hard R comedies back in theaters. We've gotten... Most of them are now like on Netflix and streaming. I can't tell you the last time a, a rated R comedy was number one at our theater and drew a big crowd. It's been forever. Um, the Lost City came out last year. But that was like an action comedy. And you had Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. That was like the closest thing. But, man, I really need this movie to break out because... We can't have comedies just be on streaming. Like, I want there to be variety at my theater. I don't want to be walking across and they, all I see on the marquees are superhero movies and just big blockbusters. No, like, we need everything. Dramas, comedies, uh, rom-coms, animated films, big blockbuster movies. Like, I want it all. 
And that's the way the movie theater going experience should be. You should be going up there looking at your marquees when you're going out for the night and be like, huh, what do we want to see tonight? Do we want to see, you know, the new superhero movie? Or, hey, look, there's a Jennifer Lawrence comedy. Let's check that out. Might be good. Variety. It's good for everybody. Everybody gets to eat and everybody gets a piece of the pie. So I'm really hoping that it opens huge this weekend. Not huge, but it's got to do good enough so that way studios can start to back these up again and give us money and give the, the people money to make these movies. And uh, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. I'm actually going to check it out. Uh, we'll see when and maybe you'll, you'll get a review on it later next week. Um, before I get to my review, I thought of another reason. And this one is another one that hasn't been talked about as much, but... Uh, it really has to considering everything else except Guardians. Guardians and Spider-Verse are the two exceptions to this rule because, and I'll, and I'll get to the reasons why, but a lot of the superhero movies have really, really underperformed and have tracked horribly than what they were projected. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania opened to $100 million, but then it fizzled out quickly because it was so bad. Everything else has kind of just been like, eh, Thor was received, you know, not very well uh, by critics. Audience members didn't really think so. I know it made money, but it wasn't like the splash that these movies used to have. And I, I've said this before, that I thought Avengers Endgame was the absolute peak of this stuff. Where it's like, how much more of this can you really do without really getting too geeky and and all that stuff, which is where I think it's headed with this multiverse shit. Um, it's going to get very wonky, very confusing. It works in comic books, right? Because co- comics are continuous issues that keep going, and you got to find different ways to tell these stories. But for movies, I think there has to be stakes and consequences, or, or if not, it's just TV, right? And we have television. If you're going to do that, go make it on TV. That's not what movies are. So... You're telling me that you kill off somebody like Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame, and it's a huge moment, and it let, everything led up to that, and, and it was a huge thing that happened, and we got like a finality to it. But now we got this multiverse stuff going on, and we have a little movie called Avengers Secret Wars that's going to be coming out, I think, in 2026 or something like that. And I don't know much about the Secret Wars, but I'm told that this is supposed to involve like all of the Marvel characters from like all these different universes. So I know that they're going to plan on bringing back not just like Robert Downey Jr. Uh, they're going to bring back Chris Evans as Captain America. And all it does is it takes away from the audience experiencing something. And it's like, it's just like, does it even matter? Like all this multiversal stuff, like what? I thought this person was dead. Like that stuff matters to your casual going audience. Like, I'm even thrown off by it sometimes. Like, if they did that, like, I know people would be like, oh, this would be awesome. Like, no, like, I got invested for 10 years in the first story time that Marvel did, and they, they brought a finality to it. Oh, they killed off Iron Man. Like, something drastic had to happen. Like, that's something you can go back and rewatch and get invested in because you were invested in it. Now, if you're telling me you can just bring back characters out of nowhere and, oh, but it's just, like, a different version because he's from an alternate timeline... First of all, A, it's dumb movie-wise, but then also you just turn off your casual audience because what you're telling them is that stuff doesn't matter and we can just bring back whoever. And, um, you know, that's what happened here with, with The Flash, <laughs> right? We're, we're bringing back certain characters and all these different versions and it's like, what? What the hell's going on? Like, 
I mean, let's talk about one of the things right now. And I know this is spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, but I am going to be spoiling it. And just going by the way the numbers went this weekend, I'm sure a lot of you aren't going to see it or going to wait or don't really care. Um, there's a part in the Flash movie where it's the world's colliding, right? Everything, like all the different universes just uh, intersecting. There's a part where a bunch of Superman are shown, right? So you see Christopher Reeve, right? They use AI or whatever the fuck. Uh, a lot of weird stuff. A lot of bad CGI in this movie. Um but they show a version of Superman played by Nicolas Cage. And it's like, what? This was just an idea. This was a movie that was gonna happen, but it never filmed or anything like that. But they did, they did film like Nicolas Cage trying on the suit and all that stuff. So it got that far in production, but that movie was never made. So it was never in the consciousness of pop culture. It wasn't a thing that ever happened. It, no one saw it. It wasn't an actual movie in theaters. But yet that character's in that movie like it's some sort of canon and it's weird and it, and if you're a casual moviegoer, you at least know who Nicolas Cage is and if you see him as Superman, you're gonna be like, what's this about? Is there a Superman movie with Nicolas Cage? No, there isn't! There isn't one! So that, that's, a, that's another thing that's weird and it's gonna throw off audiences and, and I, and like I said, it's gonna get fucking weird with all this multiverse shit and that's what's happening. But on to my review of The Flash. Um, I like this movie, folks. There's a lot of problems with it, but overall, it was a fun, entertaining movie. It is three stars. And like I've said this to my friends, like, you've rated it three stars? What are you saying? It sucked? No, I rate my movies the Roger Ebert scale, one through four. Three out of four stars. Three being like right in the middle. And I've told people this, and I'll say it all over again on social media, and I'll tell my friends over and over, for most of your life, if you like movies, for the most part, they're going to be three-star movies. Movies that you can just enjoy, and that's that. They don't have to be the worst thing in the world or the greatest thing ever. They can just be right in the middle. And that's how I felt going into The Flash. And I'm a huge Batman fan. And he's a, a big part of the story. And the movie was just, it was fun. But I'm not like thinking about it at night. It's not haunting my thoughts or... I'm not like dogpiling it on YouTube making some video saying like, oh, this is the worst piece of shit ever. Oh, it was a fun movie. And it was that. Like, I laughed. I got emotional. Uh, the nostalgia hit. Yes, the Michael Keane stuff, even though I mentioned earlier that he wasn't really, he's not my Batman, but I still grew up with those movies. So the nostalgia for that, it worked where it needed to. And it took me back. So as far as I... I'm concerned, like, it checked all of those boxes. It's a good movie. Would I watch it again? Yes. Would I buy it? Yes. Would I add it to my Batman collection? Yes. I liked it for what it was. It did what the movie was supposed to do. Now, is it a perfect movie? No. And here's where we can talk about the stuff that didn't work for me. Um, first of all, the CGI. Now, as I'm saying these comments, and I said this when the movie... After we watched the fan screen, which was a couple of days before the actual premiere for mainstream audiences all over the world, um, I said that the CGI was bad on social media. And then an article came out, I think a couple of days after release, of the director, Andy Muschietti, who did a, he did a pretty good job with the mess he was handed in, and I detailed all of that earlier. He did a pretty good job, uh, in putting out this movie and doing the best he could with it. Um, but he came out defending the special effects. And there's a certain point in the movie where the Flash is like doing his thing, right? And travels back in time. But there's a point where he comes to like a, a standstill where he can see everything in all the different alternate 
scenes going on or alternate versions of people. And that CGI looks very, very clunky and very... The the best thing the best way I can describe it is it you remember the rock and the scorpion not the scorpion king but the mummy returns when he first comes out as a scorpion king and it was just this very bad CGI it looked like that but I'll excuse the movie for that and if that's what he wants to say that that it intentionally looks bad because you're supposed to be seeing it out of whack from Barry Allen's point of view I get that that's not the bad CGI that I'm talking about. So in this movie, uh, there's two Barry Allens played by Ezra Miller in both roles. And here's where I think they made the mistake. Um, so you're watching the scenes between the, the two interact, and obviously they're different versions. One's comedic, but a little bit more serious and like, hey, like, uh, we're here to get business done, like, stop fucking around. And then there's the younger version of Barry Allen where he's a kid, he's naive, and he's also just never shuts up and is always saying something silly. Um, so it's played by the same actor. But I think the technology has developed so well that we can, we won't be able to tell like that they're doing a split screen type of thing. And there are moments in this movie where you could tell one of the Ezra Miller's face is like digitized. And it's like very, very obvious. And I'm like, man, I was just watching something the other day and it's like, that was like made like 20 years ago and the technology was done better as far as like with two of the same actors playing the same role. Even in Back to the Future, it looks more believable. And that was a movie from the 80s. Um, but here in The Flash, it looks wonky. But then, I can't fault the film too much. There's a TikTok out there. Yes, I'm on TikTok and I watch TikTok videos. Uh, there's someone out there who actually worked on the special effects for this movie. And he was saying how, you know, a lot of these visual effects guys are very rushed and they got to meet studio demands and deadlines and all that stuff. And then since there's so much of this shit now, there's so many superhero movies that are pumped out a year that a lot of these artists have got to rush through these scenes. So he mentioned at the end, if the flash visual effects look like they were done in a week, he said chances are they probably were. So it's like that fucking sucks. And if studios were to realize this and take their time and not release so many damn movies a year, we could get better quality looking movies. And he mentioned Avatar, which took like 10 years to develop, right? So they could get the technology right, the special effects right. And that movie looks fucking incredible. Uh, out, by the way, now on uh, 4K Blu-ray. Um, I suggest picking that up. It's some of the finest filmmaking you'll see and best use of special effects that you'll ever see in a movie. James Cameron King. Um, but yeah, that's a reason why some of that visual effects in The Flash looks god-awful. But again, I'll, I will give the director a pass for the stuff that he's talking about but the stuff with ezra miller where it's two the two of them and you can tell one's digitized on the face like come on bro like come on this is 2023 you can make that look a little bit more better like don't rush it if you had to delay the movie a bit more to get that right you should have um another thing was the introduction of sasha kaye as supergirl um I thought she was wasted in this movie. Like she comes in like very, very late in the movie. And then we get very little glimpses of stuff that she's trying to do with that character. And I would have been more invested had we gotten more time with her. But obviously you can only cram in so much. And it's like this movie wasn't super bloated either. It wasn't like a two hour and 30 minute, two hour, 45 minute. Like a lot of these Marvel movies have been over the last couple of years. It was Right at the 2.20 mark, if you include the credits, which is about like 5 or 6. So really you're looking at a 2 minute and 10, 2 hour and 10 minute movie. Maybe maybe less, maybe a little more, but not that much. 
and you got a lot of characters and a lot of stuff to to move around in this movie, right? So a lot of attention wasn't really given to that character, and plus she's super brand new. I think the only other thing she's ever done is a soap opera. I forgot which one she's on, um, but she was good with what was given to her, even though it wasn't a lot. So, but I won't have any problem saying like, oh, like she was shitting this, but yeah, she wasn't really given much to do, so not really her fault. Would I like to see her get another shot at being Supergirl on another project? Possibly, but I don't know if she's going to move forward with this new regime of James Gunn and Peter Safran. So that's TBD, but I know a lot of people have been saying good things about her, and and she was at our theater for, for an early screening, so... Um, you know, I, I have a little bit of biasy there. Again, I, I thought she was wasted in the movie, but you know, she did the best of what was given to her. And if given a proper film or an actual story, I think she could do really well. And uh, I'm all about that Latino representation, and that, that's a good casting move. I, I like that they did that. You know, they could have brought in like a, you know, rinky dinky, like a, you know, a Scarlett Johansson type. And I'm not saying that she's not a bad actress. She's not. Like, Scarlett Johansson's great. But you know what I mean? They would bring in that type of face to play Supergirl. And they went with a different look this time. And I actually liked it. Um, so that was the other thing that didn't really work well for this film. Also, like, I wish we could have spent more time with uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. There's, like, stuff there that is so good and stuff that you can invest in. But then it would turn into an actual Batman movie. And maybe that would serve better for something like Batman Beyond. If they did something like that in the new regime or some like side story where they could get Michael Keegan to come back and, and do like a proper like old Batman story with him and then passing on the mantle, there's makings of that in here, but not enough time is spent. And again, also he shows up pretty later in the movie. So this really is a, a Barry Allen centric movie. I mean, it's called The Flash, but you know, because of the marketing, you're, you're made to believe it's it's more than that. But it really is a Barry Allen-centric story. Um, so yeah, that was the other thing. And then, of course, as I mentioned, Ben Affleck appears. Blink and you'll miss him. He's really in the movie for screen time-wise up to like maybe five minutes. Um, there's a whole sequence of him as Batman at the beginning, but I'm pretty sure most of that was stunt work. And then he does like a very brief scene with uh, Wonder Woman, who does appear in this movie, very briefly as well in a cameo and that's him but again screen time for ben affleck all amounts to like five minutes and i remember reading ben affleck's quotes on podcasts and stuff like that saying like oh yeah i had a fun time on the flash and i really got the character down this time and i was like oh shit well maybe he's gonna have some badass arc in this movie and it's really not he's in it very quickly and then he's gone um and then i thought he would show up at the end and then something else happens and i won't spoil that one i'll let you either spoil that for yourself on the internet or maybe if you go see the movie but i rolled my fucking eyes at the end of this movie uh everyone chucked it up and and took it in but i was like whatever by the end of it i was like what a way to end this movie right super fucking silly and people were thinking like oh christian bale's batman's gonna be in this and i was like no folks that tone of batman is not coherent with what's going on in this movie it was very silly at times very camp um but uh, those were the, the 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 main negatives of this movie. But overall, I enjoyed it. I would I've seen it twice, uh, and like I said, I would buy it when it comes out on 4K, and maybe I'll go see it one more time in the theaters before it's gone, um, which will probably be very quickly considering the way it went box office wise. So I better get there quick. But um, yeah, fun movie. 
I enjoyed Ezra Miller as a Flash. I just I want to put this out there. I want to put it on record. I have always enjoyed Ezra Miller as a Flash, despite his outside shenanigans and all that stuff. When he was introduced in that terrible Justice League movie uh, by Joss Whedon, I thought he was the best part of that movie. Like he he brought the funny that needed to be done in that movie. And then uh, in the Snyder Cut, I mean, obviously that one was more epic, more you know, grandos, gravitas to it. It was very Lord of the Rings esque, like, and it was intentionally made that way. Um, his character kind of doesn't fit, um, so he was good in that Justice, the first Justice League movie. But this one was all right. And then here, he was good in the Flash movie. Like uh, the emotional beats work. The stuff with his mom was really, really good stuff. And even the final scene that he has with his mom in that movie was just you. If you don't get choked up, you don't have a heart. Because, uh, I mean, that'll choke up anybody. I mean, just the way it was done. I thought the acting was good in that scene. Uh, the actress who played the mom was good. Um, Ron Livingston shows up as Barry's dad. I always like seeing him. Shout out a million little things. Uh, office Space. Uh, Ron Livingston, just a good character actor. Um, so, yeah, that stuff was good. I, I enjoyed Ezra Miller as The Flash. Now, I don't think he's ever going to play him again. And there was maybe a little bit of hope if this movie had opened big. But it didn't. And uh, I think we've seen the end of Ezra Miller as The Flash. But, hey, at least he got a movie out of it. And to me, it's three out of four stars. It's enjoyable. You'll watch it. And I'm not saying you won't ever think about it again. But it's not one of those that's going to just be haunting you uh, for for days or anything like that. Or you won't be able to sleep over it. No, it's just a fun movie. You had a, the, the, the whole goal of this is did you have a fun time at the movies? And I had a fun time at the movies watching The Flash despite all of its flaws. So that's my review on The Flash. Catch it before it's gone in a flash. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, yeah, that's it for my movie review of the week. Let's take one final break. And when we come back, CM Punk, CM Punk, CM Punk, CM Punk. We'll be right back. My word, it's hot. It's the desert. What'd you expect? I don't know, but I'm wilting like a cut petunia. Asteroid City from director Wes Anderson. Tonight you're in for a real treat. I don't like the way that alien looked at us. Secure the site. Detain all witnesses. I'm in no hurry. I like the desert. I like aliens. This isn't the beginning of something, is it? We're about to find out. Asteroid City. Rated PG-13. In select theaters June 16th. In theaters everywhere June 23rd. Alright, welcome back to the show. Asteroid City is another film opening this weekend. It's got a really loaded cast. Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, Margot Robbie, uh, Jason Schwartzman. There's so many people. Wes Anderson always is able to get good cast for his movie. It looks, it looks weird. It's got an authentic look. It's got a, a one of a kind look, I should say. And his movies, you can tell when it's a Wes Anderson movie. I want to see it. I just don't know. If I'll have the time, there's just so much stuff going on in my life right now. I'm even going back to the gym. I'm eating correctly now. I just, I've got a nice routine along with summer business at work. So my time's occupied there. And when I'm not there, I'm either, you know, at the gym or, you know, just, I, there's just stuff going on. So I, I, I can watch movies, but, and, and I really want to see this one, but we'll just see. I mean, it's, it's either going to be this one or no hard feelings that I'm going to have time for it because my double feature is going to be saved that one day for, Barbie and Oppenheimer. I will make time to watch both of those movies in the same day. Um, but it's very rare that you're going to see me do a double feature these days with all the stuff I got going on. Uh, plus there's stuff on TV that I want to see. You know, The Bear Season 2 uh, is on FX, on Hulu. So I can't wait to watch that. If you haven't seen it, 
I rarely recommend stuff to people. The Bear is an absolute must-watch show. Um, the acting's good. The screenwriting's good. Uh, fun stories, intense stories. If you're, if you want your anxiety taken to a high, just watch that show, and, and you'll you'll understand why. So there's all this stuff coming up. And speaking of stuff on TV that I love to watch, let's talk about CM Punk, motherfuckers. He is back in All Elite Wrestling. Um, there was speculation, rumors. Was he going to come back? Was he not going to come back? Uh, he was announced for the Collision Show, but then he wasn't announced, and then he is announced. Uh, but here we are, one week removed from AEW Collision, which was in Chicago. Uh, about 8,000, 9,000 people, usually more than what AEW does in regular arenas for Dynamite. So CM Punk is a draw there in Chicago. And he's back, folks. And he came out, cut a huge, giant, uh, controversial promo that I'm sure will piss off the people that don't like him. And it'll just hype up the people that do love him, like myself. I watched that promo from him, and he was just so fucking on fire. And there's just nobody like him on the mic. I think he's better than guys like The Rock, who everyone says is like an all-time trash talker, which he is. But I don't think he's anywhere near the level of CM Punk. Uh, and you rarely get good promos from guys these days. Like, there's few people that can really cut good promos. You have MJF in AEW, and he's pretty good, like, you know, when there's nobody else around. But when you get CM Punk in the same building as him, like, he just doesn't even come close. Like, CM Punk will eviscerate that guy. Like, that's just how good he is. The king is back, baby, as he said. Um, he teamed up with FTR, uh, one of my favorite tag teams of all time. And... Um, He's going to be appearing on that show every Saturday going forward. He was on AEW Dynamite this past week because they were in Chicago. So he'll be popping in there from time to time. I'm glad he's back. This is the shot in the arm that AEW needed because while they've been putting on, like, they don't put bad television. I'll just say that for a fact. AEW does not put on bad television. But there was no spark, nothing to get really excited about. Like, yes, there's fun wrestlers to watch there. But if you're talking about somebody that drives you emotionally and is just going to get you invested in what what they're up to, CM Punk's the guy, and you need him. He's fucking business. He's fucking a ratings mover for them. And uh, that collision show drew about 800,000 viewers and .33 in a demo since everybody loves to talk about demo now. And that's pretty fucking great for a Saturday night. And that's you know a time when people are out doing other things. So the fact that that many people stayed in to watch CM Punk wrestle on a Saturday night is a good fucking thing for business. It's good for wrestling. It's good for AEW. And it's good for the fans like me that just love to watch him. And if you're a hater of him, fine, don't watch him. But don't think that he doesn't matter to the wrestling world because he fucking does. And he's back, and I'm so excited. I'm right now, I'm more pumped for that right now than WWE. Even though WWE is doing fucking great, their ratings are good, their live attendance shows are great. They're almost you know setting records every week, every time they're going. It's a very very hot ticket. You know, I was even thinking about going to see Monday Night Raw in Houston. And I was thinking I was just going to be able to go find a ticket. And that thing's like sold out already. So it has become a very, very popular thing to go do as a live event now. Uh, now again, now with, you know, with the way things have kind of took a turn with uh, Triple H for the most part taking things over. I know Vince McMahon is still like kind of in his ear a little bit. But for the most part, you can tell that the shows are way better than what they were even back three years ago. So 
yeah, WWE's on a very hot streak right now. Wrestling, us fans, we are fucking eating good. We're eating good shit right now. And with CM Punk back in the mix, that just takes it way over the top for me. CM Punk is my absolute favorite in the entire world. And I was just waiting for him to come back and just get his moment. And he is. The only thing for him, for his sake, is I just hope he doesn't get injured because I know he's up there a little bit in age. So that's the only thing that worries me about him. But if he's going to be doing like tag team matches with FTR and even upcoming this week on Collision, he's in an eight-man tag. The less he can do, the better. And maybe he can just change up his style a little bit not be so crazy acrobatic which he does some acrobatic stuff maybe he can get rid of that and add some different stuff and he can be a different wrestler he can be maybe a little bit more like bret hart which is who he looks up to so maybe he can kind of adapt his style where bret hart was more matte based and you know a storyteller which i know cm punk is he's a good storyteller but adapt more of that maybe not really have to do so much of the high flying stuff anymore just to preserve your body so we can continue to watch you on tv every week because you're fucking must see man CM Punk, man. The king is back. And I'm super excited about that. Anyways, I think that's going to do it for this week. Um, really bummed up. I'm not bummed. I'm bummed business-wise because I want all the movies to do well. But the fact that The Flash just tanked this weekend is not good for us. Uh, we want longevity. We want movies to have legs, which is why we're excited that Spider-Verse is doing well. Little Mermaid. Uh, I want Indiana Jones to do well, but I know that one's not tracking well, but I hope it does well. And then I'm not worried about Barbie, Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible. I think all those movies are going to deliver uh, at a very high level uh, business-wise. And I think uh, from a, you know, just overall product, I think it's, they're going to be good movies. Um, but yeah, uh, fun stuff coming up. Uh, the Dark Knight, 15-year anniversary. I want to do a show on that. Uh, that'll be coming up on July 18th is the anniversary date. So... You'll be looking for that. I, I'm still, I still got episodes of uh, the 90s films turned 30 that I want to do. A couple of movies that just passed the 30-year mark, including Jurassic Park. I hope to do that one real soon. Uh, I got collaborations with with uh, certain people that I want to bring on the show. Got to get that in the works and got to get uh, you know got to step on the pedal for that. Um, the unnecessary football, unnecessary roughness football podcast with uh, Abraham Trevino and Jake Ramirez, which I'm kind of doing as. A side thing, it has really nothing to do with this main show, but it'll be fed through the Palace Off the Top Rope network. Um, we're going to be gearing up for that. Fantasy football is going to be coming up soon, getting all that shit together. Uh, training camp is going to be starting in July, and then before we know it, the preseason will be here, and then the regular season, and then we're off and running on football season until next February. So uh, a lot of good stuff in the works. Thank you for listening so much. I greatly appreciate it. You can follow this podcast uh, through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you get your podcasts. I pretty much have it on all the platforms. I do release this through my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through podbean.com. You can also download the Podbean app and get the podcast that way and listen on your car ride home, at the gym, however you listen to your podcast. Uh, listen to me on your uh, as you're heading to bed. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take it any way I can get it, folks. Uh, but thank you guys so much. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.